All right, we're in 2 Samuel chapter 14, and I've got to really hurry tonight. <laughs> it took a lot of time here. I apologize for that. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 14. Now, uh, where we left off last week, last week's chapter was not a great chapter. We read about uh, Amnon raping his half-sister Tamar, and then Absalom had uh, basically waited two years and plotted and killed had Amnon murdered uh, as a result. And one of the things we talked about last, last week was David's indulgence of his sons, how David never actually acted out justly, but just kind of ignored the, the, the sin that had happened and didn't even call Amnon to do what the law required. And so as a result of this, Absalom plotted and uh, took vengeance and and killed Amnon. So that's where we're picking up in chapter 14, verse 1. Absalom is uh, among in Gesher uh, with his grandfather, and he had fled there, and so that's where we pick up in 14, verse 1. So Joab, the son of Zeruiah, uh, Zeruiah perceived that the king's heart was concerned about Absalom, and Joab sent to Tekoa and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, please pretend to be a mourner. And put on mourning apparel. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but act like a woman who has been mourning a long time for the dead. Go to the king and speak with him in this manner. So Joab put the words in her mouth. Now let me pause there for a minute. Uh, this woman of Tekoa. Tekoa is where Amos the prophet was born from. It's about 10 miles south of Jerusalem. And uh, Joab here understands there's a major problem. One, David is ignoring Absalom. Absalom really very much could be the next in line for the throne. See, Amnon was the oldest son. He got murdered by Absalom. And Chiliab was the second son who just kind of disappears from the narrative. We have no idea what happens to him. And so Absalom seems to be a crowd favorite and uh, very well could be the next in line for the throne. Joab is very loyal to King David. He's one of David's most loyal generals. He's, he's a cunning man and a dangerous man. And I think he senses that this is a problem that Joab or uh, Absalom has gone into this foreign country or into Gesher, and he very well could raise up and cause a coup. Uh, so David really needs to bring him back or do something. Now, it could also be that he realizes David is grieving, but somehow I think Joab is a little bit more cunning and wise than that. So he calls this woman from Tekoa uh, outside of Jerusalem, one, so that she wouldn't be recognized, that David wouldn't uh, fully know who she was. And he puts words in her mouth to speak. So it says, verse 4, And when the woman of Tekoa spoke to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and prostrated herself and said, Help, O king. Then the king said to her, What troubles you? She answered, Indeed, I am a widow. My husband is dead. Now your maidservant had two sons, and the two fought with each other in the field, and there was no one to part, uh, to part them. But the one struck the other and killed him. And now the whole family is risen up against your maidservant. And they said, Deliver him who struck his brother, that we may execute him for the life of his brother whom he killed, and we will destroy the heir also. So they would extinguish my ember that, it, that is left and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant on the earth. So this woman, as she explains her situation, her fake situation to David, 
And notice this is what Nathan the prophet had previously done with King David when he brought this story about a ewe lamb. It's amazing how well stories work with with us. Like when we start to think about the story or make judgments about the story, and then we, all of a sudden it's flipped around on us, we're cut to the heart. Well, David here is hearing the story about these two brothers who fought. Uh, one committed murder, fratricide, and uh, now the family is saying, okay, deliver him, the Avengers of Blood, we need to, we, he needs to be put to death. And she's saying, this isn't fair, we're going to lose our entire line. My ember is going to be extinguished. Uh, my husband will have no one to carry on his name. We can't do this. And so she's cr- kind of crying out for help. Well, the king said to the woman, verse 8, go to your house and I will give you orders concerning you. Verse 9, the woman of Tekoa said to the king, my lord, O king, let the iniquity be on me and my father's house and the king and his throne be guiltless. So the king said, whoever says anything to you, bring him to me and he shall not touch you anymore. Verse 11, then he said, please, then she said, please let the king remember the Lord your God and do not permit the avenger of blood to distress, they destroy my son. So she cries out in petitioning the Lord God that he might uh, not allow this to happen. And the king said, as the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. So David again has uh, said, okay, we're going to protect your son. Now, there is a problem here because there's this issue of the law that David is not dealing with. He, he's hearing the grief but not dealing with the issue. So the woman said, please let your maid ser- servant speak another word to my lord, the king. And he said, say on, verse 13. So the woman said, why then have you schemed such a thing against the people of God? For the king speaks the, this thing as one who is guilty, and then the king does not bring his banished one home again. For we will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. I'm going to pause there. So now that the king has made this decision, that this fictional story the judgment has been made that we're not going to put to death this brother. Now the woman says, oh, it, if you would just listen one more thing. Uh, and she brings up the issue of Absalom and how he's been banished. Now Absalom's been gone for uh, three years at this point in time. He, he's been gone in Gesher. And, and the, when the woman brings this up and says, now why would the king allow your, your son to be banished, and that maybe even something worse than just my family ember being extinguished, but actually the, our whole people are going to be lost because he's going to come back and cause this war, and that's not fair. And so she brings this up to King David. King David says, uh, or sorry, she, she then goes on to say, yet God does not take away a life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. Now therefore I have come to speak to this thing, to my Lord the King, because the people have made me afraid. And because the people have made me afraid, and your maidservant said, I will now speak to the King. It may be that the King will perform the request of his maidservant. So the woman says that, as she's pleading here, she says, now I've I've come to you because the people have made me afraid. Well, who is it that really made her uh, come to the King? It's Joab. Okay, that's important. But she does say something in this, this 
story, or she's bringing the moral of the story, so to speak, the, the cause for her appointment before the king, and she actually shares very close to the gospel message here, and, and I want to point this out to you because it's kind of wonderful. It's not totally accurate, but it says, God does not take away a life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. Wow, that's really quite incredible that you're going to find the gospel message right here in 2 Samuel through this story of Absalom who had murdered his brother in vengeance because his brother had raped his daughter. I mean, talk about the mess of sin and people. Uh, I mean, people are, are just, they just muddy the water. They bring their sin into it. They try to f- come up with their own resolutions and destroy things. And now we have this, this one truth here that God does not take away a life, but he devises means so that the banished ones are not expelled from him. And that is so true. God does devise a means that those who are banished would not be expelled from him. Now, there's one thing she got wrong here, is she's dealing with a king choosing not to fulfill the law. She's dealing with a king who's choosing not to act out in justice, just to try to excuse away the law. And I'll tell you right now, that is not God. God upholds his law. And he will see his law totally fulfilled. But turn with me over to Romans chapter 3. Because Romans chapter 3 really answers how God so marvelously kept the law, but reconciled those of us who are banished by sin to himself. Romans chapter 3. There we go. Romans chapter 3 and verse 21 says, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even this Christ, to all and on all who believe. So first thing is, is, is uh, we are being told by Paul that this righteousness of God has been revealed, and although we have the law here, this righteousness is not accessed through the law. It's accessed apart from the law. So the means of accessing righteousness through the law is purely by keeping it. No, it's fine. He's saying amen in baby language. I got it. Uh, you guys are like, shh, no, no, just let him go. Uh, the righteousness of, of God is to be accessed by the law would mean that you have to keep the law. That, that's what it would mean. It would mean that you would have to perfectly keep it. For Absalom to access this righteousness, he would have had to never taken vengeance on Amnon and murdered him. Because the murder of Amnon was certainly not the lawful way to approach the rape of his sister. Now, we all know that was wrong, but wasn't what was prescribed in God's law. So Paul is saying that there's this other righteousness that's apart from the law. And it's accessed through faith. Look at what it goes on to say. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's each and every one. All means all. Means no less. You and all and everyone in here has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so what, this, what Paul is saying here is that God remained just, and he came up with a plan, a solution to also justify the sinners. So if righteousness by the law is found by keeping the law, but you're starting out with those who are lawbreakers for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, then certainly this method, this pathway to righteousness is no good for the lawbreaker. You're, you're dead in your sins and transgressions. But God, being a just God, was able to come up with a solution, a plan, and we know that that was before he even started creating. It says Christ was chosen, that God had put, already put all this into plan, knowing that man was going to do what man did, that he would come up with a way to remain just and also justify you. See, it would be of no justice for a judge just to say, oh, forget about it. It's no big deal that you murdered that person. Just, you know, don't do it next time. Be a better person, right? Meanwhile, the, the grieved, those who are, have been grieved by this murder and have lost their loved one are going, what? How can you just let that person go saying, just be better next time? Well, you know, I, I, have, I have a good feeling about this one, you know? They're like, what? That's not justice, right? And so God, not like an unjust judge, but being a just judge, knows that he has to fulfill the law and be just while justifying the lawbreaker. Well, what do you do? How do you do that? Well, it comes by this redemption. That's the key. By his grace. We access his grace. He redeems us through Jesus Christ. Look what it says in verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Propitiation is a big word. And propitiation really means to take the wrath of God, to be completely covered by his blood so that he himself has taken the full wrath of God. And the sin has been removed from the individual. It's a beautiful word. Uh, and and uh, it, it's, it's a word that carries, so I love that the King James and the ESV keep this word. Because it means that the, the idea here is that, that through Christ's blood, his shed blood for you and for me, he has taken God's wrath upon himself. That's how God remains just and also justifies. His forbearance, God has passed over. So previously, God has passed over these former sins in expectation of Christ's coming work. God just bared with man up until that time, that right time, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So God, all this is to say is that God deals differently than King David. King David enables his sons, he kind of indulges his children to do wrong and not really be held to accountable or to justice. But God says, no, I'm not gonna just indulge people I'm going to be the just God. And, and would God be God if he wasn't truly just? No. You can't call God God, a, 
a maximally great being, a being that's right and just and good and, and has that into the maximally great, uh, great proportions, you couldn't call God God and say that he's a God who isn't just or a God who doesn't do good. No, he's got to be both. He's got to be just and also do good and show love. And so therefore, he justifies us uh, and remains just. It's quite incredible when you start to unfold or unwrap the grace of God. And the more you begin to unwrap the grace of God, the more you're going to be left saying, Lord, why would you do this for me? I'm just so amazed by your love. I'm so amazed by this grace that you offer me. Who am I, God, that you would think of me, that you would redeem me, that you would show me such wonderful grace? And that's our God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not come into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful what God has done for you? So David here, uh, this woman, the woman of Tekoa, shares this truth in the passage. She said, hey, uh, you know, I'm only bringing this up because of people, things I'm hearing, going back to 2 Samuel. Verse 16, for the king will hear and deliver his maidservant from the hand of the man who would destroy me and my son together from the inheritance of God. Verse 17, your maidservant said the word of my lord the king, so is my lord the king in discerning good and evil, and the Lord your God be with you. So she, the woman kind of starts kind of multiplying applying uh, th- these compliments. Oh, wow, you are wise, and, and uh, may the grace of God be upon you, the grace of the Lord be upon you. And uh, now this is one of those moments where you would say the lady doth protest too much because David kind of picks up on it. And he says, uh, please let my lord the king speak. And so the king said, is the hand of Joab with you in all this? Is Joab behind this? <laughs> the woman says, uh, as you live, my lord, the king, no one can turn to the right hand or to the left from anything that my lord, the king, has spoken. Uh, I can't dodge you, king. That's what she's saying. Uh, uh, for your servant Joab commanded me, and uh, he put all these words in the mouth of your maidservant to bring about the change of affairs. Your servant Joab has done this thing. But my lord is wise, according to the wisdom of the angel of God, to know everything that is in the earth. Wow. Let me just compliment you some more before you get mad at me. Joab put these words in my mouth. He put me up to this. Yes, he did. But, oh, wow, you are wise, king. Uh, You're like an angel. (laughs) So so, uh, the king said to, to Joab, all right, I have granted this thing. Go, therefore, bring back the young man Absalom. Then Joab fell to the ground on his face, bowed himself, and thanked the king. And Joab said, Today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord, O king, and that the king has fulfilled the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Gesher, brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, Let him return to his own house, but do not let him see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house, but did not see the king's face. Now, there's a problem here. We see David indulging Absalom or uh, Amnon by allowing this rape of Tamar. And for two years, he did nothing. We talked about that last week. Now, it's almost like he's gone the extreme other way. I'm not talking to my son. 
and there's this pride aspect where both aren't talking to each other. And David clearly is grieved, and he wants to speak to Absalom. He wants to deal with Absalom, but he says, okay, Absalom can return, but I don't want to see my, have him see my face. And uh, I just want to say this, you know, get rid of your pride. It's the best thing you're going to ever do. As long as you have something to protect yourself, you're going to always be failing, and you're always going to be in conflict with others. As soon as you just say, you know what, I'm not going to defend myself, I'll let the Lord defend me. And I have nothing to protect, nothing to, to boast in, because the fact is, is anything that is good at me and me in this point is the Lord. He's brought it about, so I don't have to protect my pride. And as soon as you do that, you're going to find yourself in a much better place and a much more peaceful state of mind because when you'll relinquish these things to the Lord and let the Lord defend you. And I'll tell you right now, I was saying to somebody about ministry, if you feel you have to protect or defend a ministry, then that's your ministry. But if, if you let God defend the ministry, then it's His, and that's much better. There's no need to defend or protect. Husbands and wives... Man, have you ever been in that fight with your spouse where you're like, well, I don't want to say sorry, you know? I'm sure we've all been there. Come on now. You're like, well, I'm not moving until you say sorry first, right? Uh, and, and, and it's just one of those things where we know we want to make up. We know we want to be right with our spouse, but we're just like, I'm not talking first. I just want to punish them a little bit longer and not speak to them. You know, and I'll tell you right now, just stop, you know. Let the Lord deal with your spouse. And, and by the way, I don't mean that in a cursing sort of way. I mean, let God minister to the heart and mind of your spouse. Let God minister to your heart and mind. I'll never forget, uh, <laughs> of, I don't know, Laura and I got in this like crazy fight that happened uh, one night after Sunday night church. And it, it was the most ridiculous fight. It was over the most ridiculous thing. I came home from church, and uh, I, 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 I can't even remember what it was about, but it, it just erupted in this argument. Now, we don't call each other names or anything like that, so uh, when I say we got in a fight, it, we, just, we just were fighting each other. And I'll tell my kids, the kids will be like, what's going on? I'm like, mom and dad are just fighting right now. Just give us some time. And <laughs> we're and uh, we're, we're real open with our kids, but we don't say things that are like, you know, insults to the other one. But we're in this fight, and I'm, I'm trying to, okay, I'm, I just came home from church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the, the man of God here. Oh, I want to take your bait, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to take your bait. I'm going to go in the garage. And, and, and it just continued and continued and continued. And then it got to the point where I don't want to talk. Man, I'm mad at you. I don't want to talk first. And then the Lord's just convicting my heart uh, for the things I said. He's like, no, you go and you would apologize. And I was like, all right, Lord, I'm going to apologize. And I won't, I won't defend myself. So I went to Lord and I said, I, look, it, I'm not going to defend myself because it will just cause a greater fight. I want to say I'm sorry and I apologize. He said, well, why would you do that? I'm like, well, I did that. Oh, man, you baited me again. <laughs> so... Uh, eventually, the next day, she says, I have no idea what happened. I'm like, really? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but, you know, listen, just get rid of your pride. 
Because it's really doing no good in your relationships. It's better for you just to humble yourself. Let the Lord lift you up in due time. Uh, the fact is your marriage will be so much better if you learn to just put uh, love the other and put their needs above yourself. And you'll see that uh, God will even minister to your spouse. They'll minister to you and you'll both grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ as you do that, as you submit to him. So uh, David brought back Absalom and says, I'm not going to speak to him. And uh, he, uh, he kind of almost is provoking Absalom to greater wrath because he's like, okay, I'll let you come back, but I'm not talking to you. And so verse 25, now in all Israel, there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. Wow, he's a Fabio. A Fabio or I don't know, who's the new Fabio? Because I mean, Fabio's, Fabio's old, right? He's got to be old by now, but anyway. I'll tell you why he's the new Fabio. Look at this. It says, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. He had the perfect jawline, right? And, and when he cut his, the hair of his head at the end of every year, he cut it because it was heavy on him. When he cut it, he, it weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels according to the king's standard. Okay, 200 shekels, five and a half pounds because it hurt his head. That, so we're talking, I mean, he's total Fabio, right? He's got this luscious mane, <laughs> like, and there's no blemish about him. And uh, he's, just, he's just walking around town. Hey, <laughs> like, uh, oh, almost kind of tweaked my neck there, turning too fast, you know? Now that's going to come up later on. We're going to see that, that that luscious mane, that wonderful head of hair is going to hurt him in the future. But uh, Fabio, I mean, Absalom... <laughs> with his five and a half pounds of hair that he cuts off once a year. I mean, that is thick hair. I think of uh, uh, Alondra, uh, your sister Alva. She's got that thick hair, and uh, you're just like, wow. So uh, it says that, uh, so to Absalom were born three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. So he named his daughter after his his uh, sister who was raped. She was a woman of beautiful appearance. And Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem, but did not see the king's face there. So we're talking five years he hadn't seen his dad's face. Therefore Absalom sent for Joab and to send him to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent again a second time, he would not come. And so he said to his servants, see, Joab's field is near mine, as he has barley there, go and set it on fire. <laughs> and Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom's house and said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? And Absalom answered, Look, I sent to you, saying, Come here, and so that I may send you to the king and say, Why have I come uh, from Gesher? So Absalom's basically like, Look, I'm, I'm, uh, Joab is ghosting me here. I'm calling him. He's not getting back to me. So let's go set his barley field on fire. And Joab comes back, why did you set my field on fire? Well, I called you, but he didn't come. Now you came. So it worked. You know, this kind of shows Absalom's character. Uh, although he's come back from this time in, in uh, exile, he certainly has not. Uh, he's still not. He's very amoral, right? He just, okay, well, I'm just going to burn the barley field here. And... Uh, 
And uh, it, it's much different than the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son that Jesus teaches, right? Jesus, when he talked about the prodigal son who had left from his father, give me my inheritance, I'm going to go spend it and party and just live it all up until I'm, uh, um, pigs are eating better than me. And so the prodigal son repents and he comes back to his father and says, hey, can I just even just work for you? Just be a servant. And of course, the father welcomes him back. Uh, that son, that prodigal had repentance, but Absalom here, it just, he still recognizes himself as a contender for the throne. Spurgeon also says that at some time, at the same time, sometimes God gets our attention by setting our barley fields on fire. He, knowing that we will not come by any other means, sendeth a serious, serious trial. He sets our barley field on fire, which he has a right to do. Seeing our barley fields are far more his than they are ours. Now, God has a right to set our barley fields on fire, but Absalom had no right to set Joab's. And when God wants to get our attention and we're not listening, sometimes that's what happens. He, he does it to get our attention. We go, well, that's not really, that, I mean, can't God get our attention in a better way? Well, the fact is, is God will work all things together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And which means that even when you're walking in disobedience to God or you're turning a deaf ear to God, God cares about your eternal destiny. If you are a child of God, the scriptures say that he disciplines those he loves and that we shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, uh, despise, despise the Lord's discipline but recognize that it's out of love that he does so. So David, uh, uh, Joab burns the, he has fires around Philip, so Absalom says, I want you to go to my dad. And uh, verse 32, and Absalom answered, Joab, look, I send to you saying, come here, that I may send you to the king. Say, why have I come from Gesher? It would be better for me to be there still. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face, but if there is iniquity in me, let, let him execute me. Verse 33, so Joab went to the king and told him, and when he called for Absalom, he came to the king, bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. Then the king kissed Absalom. Now, we're going to see next time we pick back up in chapter 15, uh, Absalom has been plotting for five years now how to overthrow his father. And he's going to end up with his wonderful hair and his great good looks at the gate saying, oh man, I'd, I would give you justice or I would do for you. And he starts politicking. You'll see in chapter 15, it's kind of like uh, Pedro and Napoleon Dynamite. Those of you guys who have seen that, uh, vote for Pedro. He'll make your wildest dreams come true. By the way, that's for those of you who have watched Napoleon Dynamite. If you haven't, it's a wonderful cultural film that you'll ask yourself, why did I watch this? <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, God is so good to us. He doesn't waste our time. He doesn't plot against us. But rather, he has redeemed us to give us a hope and a future. Not like Absalom, who's plotting. He's, he's, he's getting in close with the king, and he's about to, to uh, try to take the throne by force. Uh, you know, as we enter into this time of communion here, I want you to really consider what God has done for us. Of course, we shared that gospel that, that from Romans, that God remained just while justifying us, that he became sin. Uh, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God, that God provided a way. And that's what this little communion cup represents. And you can see those communion cups in the front of the pews. Um, and uh, just go ahead and take that out for a minute. As we close in prayer, I want to give you an opportunity to repent. 
repent of those sins that you or you're, you're ignoring of God, you're turning a deaf ear to God, your, your pride, your, uh, those things that you've been embracing, your rebellious thoughts. Let's go ahead and pray for a moment, then we'll get into the communion. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you died for us, that you purchased us back from the dead. And God, you, how wonderful your grace is that you're so gentle with us, Lord. You don't scream at us, but God, you care for us. And so now, Lord, we repent of our sin. We confess it to you now. And if you go ahead and just take a moment and confess it to the Lord, your sin. Lord, forgive us of our pride. Lord, forgive us for how we treat our loved ones, our selfishness. Lord, we thank you that you bear with us, that you do nothing selfish, but Lord, you sacrifice for us and you set that model. Let us be like you, Christ. And on the night before of his arrest, Jesus sat with his disciples and he took the bread. Now there's a little top tab here. He took the bread and he gave thanks and he told his disciples, this is my body broken for you. Now consider that for a moment. That's God remaining just while justifying. This is my body broken for you. This is what it represents. This idea that if you could, your belief could make it a part of you physically, that's what you're doing with this. The Lord Jesus said, take and eat. And in the same manner, he took the cup. And the Lord Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which has been shed for you. It's amazing. A brand new covenant, not based on the law, but based in Christ. Take and drink. For as often as you do this, you both remember the Lord's death and his coming. Maranatha, that means come Lord Jesus. Maranatha, yeah, amen. All right, God bless you all. Well, God bless you all and um, uh, take care of one another. I'm certainly gonna miss being away from you guys. I'll, and I'll tell you, every time I do go into the mission field, I miss the fellowship here. We have wonderful fellowship, but time is growing short and our days are growing shorter until the, either the Lord's coming or we go to him. So we've got to be about his business, taking the gospel of grace and that wonderful peace with God to those outside this fellowship. Uh, I want to encourage you, make sure to come next week for my dear friend Art Archilla. You're going to be blessed. If you're not, I'll refund your ticket price. But uh, you'll really be blessed. And I want to thank Rosty for playing piano. I know he does. I know he doesn't want to thanks, and I'm not bringing glory to him, but we're really appreciative of him being with us. And uh, now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he give you peace as you walk in his grace. Amen.